0: This morning, uh, if you are not regularly at Riverside, man, you're a guest this morning, and we are so grateful um, to have you join us. And uh, you're actually jumping in at the very end of a study that we've been doing in the Book of John. We began back in January in John chapter one, and we've worked our way through uh, the entire book, uh, just studying and saturating ourselves in the life of Jesus. And uh, today we we reach the conclusion of this eyewitness account uh, from the disciple John that he wrote about Jesus and um as the, as in any good story um he he reinforces the things that he's been telling us through the entire book in these final couple of chapters and um uh the thing that i'm really excited about is that, that each one of us is also in a journey right we're all our lives are writing a story and uh I do a discipleship every couple of weeks with a couple of guys, Rob and Varun. We get together. And uh, in our discussion this past week, we were just talking about, um, it's hard when you screw up and when you make a mistake not to feel like God's disappointed in you, right? It's hard to not feel like, oh man, he's like, he's probably pretty bummed that he chose me right now because uh, I'm a loser. And, uh, but, but the reality is, is that when God looks at us, there's two things. One, he sees Jesus Perfect, sinless work applied onto us. And so when he sees us, he doesn't see our brokenness. He doesn't see our failures. Uh, If we've received Jesus as our Savior, he sees his perfect record placed upon us. And he loves us. The other thing that I take encouragement is is that all of us, our entire life is a story. And so our tendency is to, to look at one moment in time and kind of define our entire personhood, all that we are by that moment But God exists outside of time, and he knows every one of our days from the beginning to the end. And so just like in a movie, if it's a movie that you've seen before in which there's a character transformation that takes place when a bad character ultimately becomes a good character by the end of the movie, when you watch that movie the second time or the third time and you know everything, even that character's flaws early on in the movie uh, almost are, are a calls for celebration because like, man, I can't believe that they were that bad, but ultimately I know that they're going to be that good. And I think that, that God recognizes that every one of us, are uh, we've, we're at a, a specific point in our journey, and yet our whole story has yet to be unfolded. And my prayer for you this morning, whether you're at a great point in the story or whether you're at a low point in the story, is that today will be a turning of the page and that you'll get some clarity about where God is calling you to go and where he's leading you and how to draw closer to him, and, and the story will begin to, to take an upturn from here. We've been looking at this life of, uh, of Jesus through the book of John, and, and there's so many questions, right? What have we learned that is going to change the way that we live? Are, are we on the right path? Are we walking in the light, or are we walking in darkness? Is our life bearing fruit are we demonstrating our love for Christ by loving one another? Well, these final chapters are going to in, enforce some, some powerful themes that John has been unfolding. Uh, the importance of belief, the importance of abiding, the importance of love, and the importance of following Jesus. And so we're going to just take a little bit of time this morning to look at those things as they unfold in John chapter 20 and 21. Many of you know the uh, the, the famous uh, most ma- famous verse in scripture probably, right? John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. John has been reinforcing over and over again in this book the importance of belief in Jesus. We would love to uh, maybe embrace an idea that like, hey, you know, maybe Jesus, when he died on the cross, maybe that was good enough for everybody, and everybody gets in, and there is no hell, and there is, there is no judgment, but, but that would run counter to what John shows us in the, in, the, in the gospel, right? If God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, then we have to acknowledge that that means that those that do not believe in him fall under judgment. But the good news of the gospel is that this salvation is available to every one of us. He loved the world so much that he gave his life and made it freely available to all. And so we do see some different pictures of belief that unfold in, in John chapter 20. Right? We begin with um, this account of. John and Peter running to the tomb when Mary tells them that it's empty, and and John shares in there this detail that he outran Peter as he went to the tomb, and and some people have come up with some uh, uh, very uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Creative theological explanations of what that means, and and who John represents and who Peter represents, and and I tend to think that it's just. One of those little details that points to the, the fact that this is a true eyewitness account. And it's these little details. And also maybe John just wanted to brag that he was a little bit faster than Peter, right? So he's like, I gave Peter a head start and then I smoked him going in there, right? But, but Peter charges into the tomb. And it's cool. Uh, it says that John saw the empty grave clothes and he believed was enough for him he had heard Jesus say over and over again I'm gonna raise on the third day I'm gonna be I'm gonna die they're gonna kill me but on the third day I'm gonna rise and when he walked into that empty tomb and he saw the empty grave clothes that was sufficient for him to believe that the impossible had taken place right and he and he grew in that and then we see Mary weeping there by the tomb and 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 Two angels are sitting in there and they, and they say to her, why are you weeping? And, and she's so distraught that she's kind of like, well, they took Jesus, right? And then and, 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 and another voice comes from this side and she thinks it's a gardener. And she's like, where have you taken him? I'll, I'll, I'll take the body, just please. And then he says, Mary. And when he says her name, suddenly she knows that it's Jesus. She recognizes him and it's this, this fulfillment of what John told us. He said in John 10, to him the gatekeeper Opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Mary believed when she heard Jesus call her name. Shortly thereafter, Jesus appeared to the the disciples as they were gathered in the upper room, and and he has this transformed body. And so these amazing things happen with this transformed body. He's able to appear in a room, but the doors are locked, and yet he's able to come in. And and we saw with the grave clothes, right? You remember several weeks ago, we looked at Lazarus, and and Lazarus was called forth out of the tomb by Jesus. And and Lazarus comes out like this mummy, right, (laughs) wrapped in these grave clothes. And Dave preached a powerful message. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, you should go back and listen to it online. But, um, but he shared with us that sometimes even when we're resurrected to new life, we need help taking off the grave clothes of our old death and bondage. But Jesus needed no such help. He, 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 it's like his body went through the grave clothes. They were just laying there, right? And it was evidence that the body hadn't been stolen because who would take the time to unwrap the grave clothes from a body that they were stealing out of a tomb? And so Jesus appears to the disciples and, 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 he, and, he, uh, and he eats food to prove that he's not a spirit, he's not a ghost, he's physically resurrected and everyone is there except for Thomas. And Thomas misses out and, and poor Thomas, uh, he gets the reputation of doubting Thomas, right? That's how we know him historically. And uh, I think it's kind of unfair, to be honest with you. (laughs) Uh, As we saw when when, uh, Lazarus was sick and Mary and Martha called for Jesus to come, the disciples didn't want him to go to Jerusalem because the Jews were trying to kill him. And it's Thomas that says, hey, if he's going to go, let us go with him also, that we may die with him. Those are words of bravery. Those are words of loyalty. Those are words of love. And so I think part of the problem was that Thomas loved Jesus so much that he just wasn't willing to take anyone else's word for it. And he's probably confused, like, Jesus, why would Jesus appear to all of you and not me? He knows how much I love him. And so then Jesus makes a special appearance for Thomas himself, right? And the one who doubted, the one who needed proof when he saw it, he gives this incredible declaration, my Lord and my God. From the one who had the hardest time believing that it was true came the most Uh, most animated profession of faith. Not only are you my Lord, not only are you my teacher, not only are you my rabbi, but you are God. He understood something powerful. And we see this in the church, right? Sometimes those that that are furthest away from Jesus, some of those that, that had the hardest journey, that had the most difficult time coming to a place of relationship with him are the ones that are most exuberant in their praise, that know it most deeply rooted in their heart because they know how much they needed him. And so they're able to praise him in a powerful way. He says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I think he said that for us, right? (laughs) I think he wanted us to know that there's a blessing. Because how many of us are like, man, wow, it would have been awesome to be there and to see the risen Lord. Or if you would just appear to me today, man, then I could believe, right? But but he says, blessed are those who believed and have not seen. He makes it clear at the end of, of chapter 20 and verse 30, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He wants us to know that life comes from belief, that our life, our eternal life, our salvation, our forgiveness is tied to our belief. And here's what, what I hope. I hope that you see yourself in that story somewhere. Maybe you can relate to John. Maybe you've seen the evidence and that's convinced you. Maybe you can relate to Mary. Maybe you've, you've heard Jesus call your name. Maybe not audible, but, but as you've read through the scriptures, you've, you've heard him speaking right into your, your heart. Maybe you were in the middle of something and he led you to a, a passage or something that just spoke directly into your situation. And I'm like, I hear his voice, right? Maybe like Thomas, you, you struggled so hard to believe, but then all of a sudden the, the dam broke and, and, you, and you just came with this flood of realization of who Jesus really is. I hope that you see yourself in there. I hope you can also take encouragement from this fact, that their, their belief was progressive, right? Their belief kept growing. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, yep, okay, I'm, I'm good, right? We're never good. <laughs> We've never achieved the level of belief that Jesus is calling us to because the more that we believe, yes, there's a, there's a belief that's, that's necessary for salvation, but then as we continue to believe more deeply and our faith grows and as we walk with him and as we experience him, He leads us into greater and greater fruitfulness. He shows you, here's why I saved you. Here's the thing that I've set you out to do. And our life gains purpose, and it gains hope, and it gains meaning, and it gains excitement. I hope that you see yourself in that today. The second thing after belief is he shows us what it means to abide. We looked at this a couple weeks ago in John 15. He says, I am the vine, You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing? Right? We can't do anything? It's hard for us to wrap our heads around. And This word abide is not one that we use a lot, that we talked about. It means to remain in, to to dwell in. We talk about our home being our humble abode, right? Because it's the place that we abide in. And so Jesus says, I need, you, I need to be your home. <laughs> I need to be the place that you abide in. I need you to be in me constantly. And, and so um, we switch from John chapter 20, and, and 20 seems like the end of the story, right? But then it adds on John chapter 21 at the end. And, and historically, going back to the earliest manuscripts that we have, John 21 has always been a part of John's gospel, and so uh, there are some that would say, well, maybe that was added on later or whatever, but, um, but all the evidence historically points to the fact that this was part of John's gospel, and like any great story, there's kind of an epilogue at the end, right? We got any Lord of the Rings nerds in here, right, They love it, right? And so there's the whole battle with Sauron, and the ring is cast into Mount Doom, and everything ends, and it's this great triumph, but that's not the end of the story. The story ends with them going back to their home, the home that they were fighting to preserve, to protect, and how they came back home at the end of the story. And so John does the same thing for us. He, he brings us to the point of the risen Christ, and, and he's, he's won the victory, and he's appeared to the disciples and proven that he's alive. Okay, now what? And some of us have that question in our own life. We're like, okay, I believe in Jesus, but now what? Now what do I do? So John 21 is for us <laughs> to show what that looks like. And so what we see in John 21 is this picture Of abiding, Peter decides to go fishing, and um and I've and I've heard it uh, him criticized for this, and and I've probably even mirrored that at times where, hey, he's just trying to go back to his old profession, he's going back to what he knows, he's going back to what's comfortable, and and there may have been some elements of that, Um, or maybe he was just hungry, (laughs) and he said we don't have any money because Judas was the treasurer and he kind of took all the money, and and we're hungry, but I know how to fish, right? We don't know there's not a judgment cast on what he does, but. But here's what I do see, right? He, he goes, he says, I'm going to go fishing. And, and he could take great pride in this, right? He said, hey, I was decisive. I made a choice. I said, we're going fishing. And I had a bunch of people follow me, which, which pointed to the fact that I'm a leader. And then we went out there, and we were working hard all night long for long hours, and we toiled, and, and I got so sweaty, I took my outer garments off so I could get down to my athletic gear and, and get after it, right? And we're putting the nets in, and we're pulling the nets out, and, and we're doing it all the way till dawn, and the, and the sun is coming up. Man, look how hard we worked. Sometimes we do that too, right? Well, look, look what I did. Look at all we did this weekend. We had a Friday night service. We had a Saturday egg hunt. We had two services on Sunday morning. We made breakfast sandwiches. The thing that we've got to be careful about is sometimes we value the work, but we've got to recognize just like the disciples, if we're not abiding in Jesus, we can do nothing. How much fruit did they have for all of that labor, all of that work, all of that effort? There's no fruit, right? There's no fish. But Jesus calls out to him and he says, hey, throw it on the right side of the boat. Don't you love when people give you fishing advice, right? (laughs) I don't think you're casting it right, right? (laughs) Jesus says, throw it on the right side. And when they do it, when they fish with Jesus, suddenly they can barely pull the nets in. Here's what, I, here's what I want you to understand, that, that abiding with Jesus is not, oh, man, okay, I got to carve out two hours in the morning so I can just go off in my prayer closet and get alone and read the word and pray. You should do that if you want to. That, if God's lead that's awesome, right? But Jesus wants to abide with you in the car. He wants to abide with you in your workplace. If you're a teacher, he wants to abide with you in school. If you're a stay-at-home mom, he wants to, he wants to be there as you raise your kids. It, what, whatever your vocation is, whatever your calling is, he wants you to do everything with him to abide in him, for him to be your home. And it's very possible to do everything with Jesus or apart from Jesus. He says, I want you to do it with me. I'm with you always to the end of the age. You can do construction with Jesus. You can work at a restaurant with Jesus. You can can do any of these things with him, with you, and that's what makes all the difference. And here's the sad thing. You can be a church, you can be a pastor, and you can do it without Jesus. You can be an event planner. You can host a bunch of people. You can get up and give witty sayings and and wisdom. But if you're not doing it with Jesus, there's no fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. He wants us to abide in him. Where do you need to abide more fully in Jesus? Where are you trying to operate in your own strength? Jesus didn't condemn fishing, right? Don't think that to abide with Jesus means you've got to quit your job and go on the mission field. He may call you to that, but he might call you to be a missionary exactly where you are right now. Same job, same home, same family, same neighbors. That might be the mission field that he's created you for. Third, we see that he calls us to love. In John thirteen thirty four, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love if you have love for one another. Jesus appears to Peter and he says, "Do you love me?" and he says, "Lord, you know I love you." He says, "Feed my lambs." Peter, "Do you love me?" Yeah, "You know, Lord, you know I love you." "Feed my sheep." <laughs> Peter, "Do you love me?" Oh, "Lord, you know I love you." "Tend to my lambs." Right? Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to love and serve other people. It's it's really that simple as Christians. And again, it's the abiding love, right? I'm not going to will up my desire to love other people. I'm not going to love other people out of my own strength. I'm going to let the the love relationship that I have with Jesus resonate and reciprocate to the point where it's it's expanding out beyond us, right? Right? I'm going I'm to love out of the overflow of love. When I give my love to Jesus, he gives me an abundance of love back, and I'm able to overflow into love for those around me. Because Jesus loves. Jesus loves everyone in this room. We might not all naturally love each other. <laughs> Jesus loves every one of us, and because of our love for Jesus, we should love one another. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, So now faith, hope, and love abide. I love that, right? Faith, hope, and love abide. They remain. (laughs) They dwell with us. But the greatest of these is love. And it's really just as simple. You can you can ask yourself, am I operating out of love? So much of what we do, so much of what the church does wrong is when we don't operate out of love. Am I operating out of love? Or am I operating out of pride? Am I operating out of self righteousness? Am I operating out of judgment? Am I operating out of selfishness or am I operating out of love? Next time you get in a conflict, <laughs> next time somebody cuts you off in traffic, <laughs> just ask yourself, am I operating out of love? And hey, it works the other way too, right? Like, do I need to have a hard conversation with this person because I love them too much to let them keep hurting themselves? We're called to speak the truth in love. Love. Love is not always permissive, right? Love is not always an open door. Love is not, despite what they say in Frozen, right? (laughs) We saw where that song got them, so I'm just going to say. Love puts boundaries. Love is complicated. If you want to operate out of love, it's a 24-7 job. But that's what we're called to do. And if we operate out of love, we continuously say, am I doing this out of love? Man, you're going to be on the right path. Which leads us to our final statement. Jesus calls us to follow him. It's this incredible acronym, BALF. You'll remember BALF, right? It's like, so I wish it was jazzy. I wish it spelled something really cool. I wish it was an acrostic. It's not, right? But if you BALF, right? There's a reference back to John 13 here. Peter and and Jesus have a conversation. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter denies Jesus three times. And to counteract that, Jesus comes back to him three times and says, do you love me? But the first time he says to him, Peter, do you love me more than these? And it's a reference back. We get a little bit of insight in Matthew. In Matthew, Peter doesn't only say that he will follow him. In Matthew 26, Jesus says to him, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Peter basically said, I love you more than these guys. I don't care what they do. I'm with you. And then he denied him three times. And so essentially, Peter, Jesus comes back and says, hey, Peter, do you still love me more than all the rest of them? <laughs> Peter's learned something, right? Because Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. <laughs> I'm not going to compare myself with them. <laughs> I'm not going to claim something that I, I you know that I love you right this comparison trap is dangerous in following Jesus because Jesus leads each of us on our own path and when Jesus really starts pressing on us and and asks us to do something really difficult the natural reaction is to say well what about him (laughs) right okay Lord you you want me to say I'm sorry but what about them are they going to say they're sorry Lord, you want me to you want me to to give give my money to this and you want me to well, what about them? I just thought they went on an awesome cruise, right? <laughs> where's their Where's their money? Lord, Jesus says, Hey, what is it to you what they're doing? You follow me. We each have our own path to follow with Jesus. He's called us into relationship with Him. Don't judge me if I go on a cruise once our baby boy is old enough to to stay home. Okay, you follow Jesus. What is that to you? <laughs> and I'll do the same there's a temptation to compare ourselves to other people we all do it and it robs our joy and it, and it steals our hope and it makes us look down on the good blessings that God has given to us it makes us think that the good gifts that he's given us aren't good enough And so we have to avoid that comparison. We have to follow Jesus as he has called us to follow him. He's equipped you and he's prepared you to walk the path that he has given to you. And if we'll do that, if we'll believe in him, if we'll abide with him, if we will operate out of love and if we will follow him, we will live lives that through the power of the Holy Spirit will transform the world around us. We will see his kingdom come and his will be done in the areas that he puts under our feet. Man, that's my prayer and my hope for you. But it all begins with belief. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you that today is the day. April 1st, April Fool's Day, 2018. Easter Sunday, everything is converging. If God has been knocking on the door of your heart, if He's been calling out to you, and you recognize that today, I want to encourage you that today is the day that you can receive forgiveness, you can receive salvation, you can place your faith in Jesus, and you can begin to experience the joys of His Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And so as the band.